0: Today, we're going to talk about an incredibly valuable source of power that we all have, especially when we're feeling uncertain, powerless, helpless in the face of big things that are going on in the world or in our own worlds. This is a very important thing to hold tight, to keep our power over. And I'm really excited to share it with you because it's something I personally am quite passionate about. You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, I'm Avital, if you're just meeting me for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. I know there's a million other things you could be listening to, and I'm so appreciative and humbled that you've given me your ear for this time. I promise to make it worth it. I am a homeschooling mother of four, and I'm a performance coach for parents. I help parents to create family bliss, to really enjoy their lives with their families and within themselves as parents, so we can be unvictimized unoffendable and unwavering, unshakable in ourselves, in our own paths and in our own joy. So if that sounds good, you've come to the right place. And I always like to give some disclaimers along the way and I'll just give one here, which is to say that my work is all about empowering you and championing you and cheering you on. And if I ever sound a little tone there for a little off uh, or I am not sensitive to something that you are sensitive to, then my sincerest apologies. Uh, please always take whatever I say with a grain of salt and through your own critical thinking cap, that's what I trust you to do. I believe in this community's intelligence in a very profound way. And I try to really offer the tough love and the, you know, the aha's and the mindset shifts. And if that sometimes feels a little too tough for you, then please switch me off and go listen to something else. Today, uh, this is episode number 67, and the show notes to this episode can be found over at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 67. So if I mention any resources or whatever, you can always find that over at the show notes. And before we move forward, I just wanna say thank you so very much to each and every one of you who has left me a review on iTunes. It means the world to me. It helps so much. And it's just so much fun to read these amazing reviews. So, Boy Mom Eleven left this review just last Thursday. Best podcast ever. I cannot say enough wonderful things about Avital and how she doesn't make anyone feel judged or feel like they are parenting the wrong way. And episode 64 is no different. Homeschooling versus public or private schooling can be a touchy subject, but she addresses it with such ease and in such a different way that it helps you to feel supported in your decision to either homeschool your children or send them to school. Once again, Abital, thank you so much for your insight and helping us to think outside the box. Boy Mom 11, I can't tell you how meaningful it was for me to read this one because that was a challenging episode to record and it is a touchy subject and there were some people who certainly misunderstood the energy behind what I was trying to say and thought that I was attacking schools um, and we're going we're gonna to get into that even more in future episodes but I just really appreciate it when people do hear the nuance and do hear uh, the complexity and the sensitivity with which I try to approach these topics while still voicing some strong opinions so I really really appreciate that and just thank you so much to anyone who's taken the time I know it's not easy to leave a review you guys are so busy we all are and so I do so appreciate it. Today, we're gonna talk about something that I see come up quite a bit in comments on my Facebook posts, uh, on Instagram, that kind of thing. Um, And it's a certain power that people give over. Now, I like to talk a lot about empowering ourselves because I really believe that every single one of us chooses whether we're going to be in a victim mindset or in an empowered mindset, whether we're going to be offendable and overly sensitive and at the whim of everybody else in life, right? Other people's opinions, of the weather, of whatever happens to be happening, of our bank account, of what it says on the scales, of our PMS, of our children's tantrums. And like we're some kind of, you know, uh, flaky, you know, stick of wheat in the wind and we're just swaying and swaying and swaying with whatever the world throws at us. And it could be an emotional roller coaster. And the truth is that I used to live that way. I used to live, really just giving away my power to everything around me and feeling very sensitive, feeble, vulnerable, raw. And there are beautiful things to those those qualities as well. And I've tried to maintain uh, the positive sides of them, the sides that served me. But there was so much about them that was really disempowering and felt like I was literally not being the author, not being in the driver's seat, not being an adult, you know, I think part of growing up is that we take charge of our own narratives, that we take charge of our own thoughts really uh, primarily um, of the thoughts that we choose to give power to and the thoughts that we don't give power to. I believe that's our biggest source of power. And I believe as Victor Frankl taught us, That is kind of the last line of defense of freedom is our own thoughts. No one actually can take that away from us. No one actually can change that. Um, If we claim that power, and that's pretty much, you know, not always, but pretty much a universal uh, truth that everybody could potentially uh, take charge of their own narratives and decide which thoughts to believe and which thoughts to choose. I have found Immense, immeasurable liberation in discovering the power of mindfulness, not just in coming into the present moment, but also in crafting and choosing uh, the thoughts that I choose to think and the thoughts that I choose to follow and believe and give voice to. I often say, you know, the thoughts that I lend the microphone to. So I have the same fears and the same insecurities and the same judgments that I used to have that pop up automatically but I'm trying not to hand them the microphone. And as I've done that over the years, those thoughts have really become so much quieter and fainter to the point that they don't usually run any part of my show. Of course, it happens once in a while. So that's been immensely liberating for me and that's something that I want for everybody else as well. What I'm noticing is that one of the big powers that we have is the power of words. That's what we're gonna talk about today, is the power of the words that we choose to describe certain situations. And, you know, I think it's a bit of a strange, phenomenon in a sense, especially I would say over the past couple of decades, I think. And just reading books like The Coddling of the American Mind, which is a must read, go and grab it right now. Don't listen to me, listen to them. Um, But books like that, that actually track and show the research of how certain concepts have grown over the past couple of decades, especially the last decade. Concepts like trauma or safety Um, or hurting someone or being a victim. These are concepts that used to mean one thing. And now they mean many, many more things. And they call it in the book, they call it concept creep. It's when a concept suddenly starts to mean more things, i.e. trauma, for example, used to mean physical trauma, used to mean trauma to the body. Um, Today, that concept has creeped to include emotional trauma. And it's creeped even further to include simply things that we didn't enjoy and that we didn't like, but don't necessarily actually uh, fall under the definition or the classic definition of what even emotional trauma would be. And that kind of concept creep, or for example, safety, safety used to mean physical safety. Uh, And then it started to mean emotional safety as well. And now people use the word safety as just, is this a safe conversation? Basically, are you going to make it comfortable for me? Are you going to agree with me? Are you going to abide by my preferences? And suddenly the term means so much more than it used to mean. I think that we've done this with language in lots of ways and it's so fascinating. I'm not a you know, a linguistics professor or researcher by any stretch of the imagination, but I find language really, really interesting. And I find the use of words really interesting. And I think it's a very big source of our power. What I'm seeing is, for example, I gave this example a while ago, but uh, someone uh, who said around about this quarantine, that being home with her six-year-old is brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, I hear people describe their children as terrorists. I hear them describe being with their children as torture. Uh, We all know that people describe the terrible twos. We say that something like a tantrum is a nightmare. We say we can't bear it. We say it's killing us. We talk about our children going mad, going crazy. Um we even use the word, as I referred to in last week's podcast, I can't, right? Even the word I can't has become an all-encompassing phrase for everything, like I don't want to, I choose not to, I'm not prioritizing it right now, I can't do it yet, right? All the different things that it could mean. But we use terminology in a very loose way. Now, when I was growing up, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but in the Jewish tradition, if you speak badly about someone else, if you gossip about someone else, it's called the bag, the evil tongue, and the evil tongue is akin to murder. It's it's compared to murdering that person because when you speak ill of someone, if you just say something like, "Oh, she's a liar," um, that. Could lead to such tainting in on her reputation that other people will then, you know, not invite her, not protect her, not be part of her circles, and that could lead to her death, right, as it were. It's really held up, the, the use of our language is held up to such a high pedestal in Jewish culture um, that it, you know, that it's really the the power that I'm talking about, the power of words is very deeply taught, or at least it was to me when I was a child. I find it very jarring when people use words like horrible, awful, terrible, nightmare, terrorist, uh, you know, murder, killing, killing me, um, brutality uh, with regards to raising children. I find it jarring and here's why. I get it. It's just language, right? Let's just make this a disclaimer, okay? I get it. It's not like when someone speaks to me like that, I'm judging them in my head like, oh no. And it's not like I never say those things because, uh, you know, of course, um, our culture infiltrates. It influences our subconscious and we start to say things that even we don't believe in. It just becomes kind of a habit or a norm and we become desensitized to the power of words and then we use them in these ways. Um, But... The problem is, when we're talking about mindset, is that when you use exaggerated words, it actually save, sets you up for failure. When you say something like, my child is going through the terrible twos. Yeah, we've all said it as a joke, we've all said it, it's fine. But I'm just, let's just be kind of highbrow and serious about this for a moment. When we go that route, we are subconsciously sending a message to ourselves that this is something terrible. Um you know we even do it with things like being so sad that our child is growing up I know you know I know we all feel that bittersweetness you know that a child is growing up but being so sad oh please you know I wish they could stay on forever that sadness again is an exaggeration of lack of perspective and here's what I'm going to say when we don't really comprehend and understand what brutality, ruthlessness, terror, sadness, grief, uh, going mad, going crazy, something horrible, awful, a nightmare, something terrible. When we don't really understand what those things look like in real life for real people, then we can use those labels and apply them to things like our child graduating kindergarten or having a big tantrum or not sleeping through the night. I get it, I do the same. But when I do that, I need to catch myself because it's a deep misunderstanding of the perspective, the broader perspective of what those concepts really mean. And I don't mean this from a first world shaming perspective. I'm not like, oh, shame on us. We don't really know what brutality is. You know, There are people tortured by terrorists. They know what brutality is. It's not so much from that perspective, although that might be true too. It's more from the perspective that we are making ourselves fragile. We are making ourselves fragile because we're looking at normal, regular, beautiful, run of the mill, uh, day to day, uh, inevitable challenges and parts of raising little kids. And we're labeling them with such extreme terminology that we are sending ourselves the message that in our lives, the terrible things are things like tantrums. And that makes us fragile because it makes us completely um, blind to the very, very deep depths of our resilience and what we could potentially handle and what true grief is and what true brutality is, etc, and it kind of sensitizes us. It's a concept creep right it makes us ultra 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 sensitive to the point where my you know my tapers is breaking down and it's something that i deem as terrible rather than oh you know it's inconvenient it's a little loud it's not my preference it's uncomfortable but it's certainly not terrible it's certainly not terrible because it's normal because it's healthy because it's what I want, I want a healthy child with a great set of lungs who can express themselves, who can let emotions out, who is going through all of the normal developmental stages. And that is something, honestly, to celebrate, right? A child graduating kindergarten. Again, we have a healthy child graduating kindergarten. That is not sad by any measure. So yeah, of course we have that kind of longing. Oh, I miss when they were a baby. Okay. But putting language, putting power Uh, putting exaggeration to these things, I think, disempowers us. I brought another example recently because someone said in one of my uh, workshops about grief uh, that we shouldn't engage in grief comparison. and We shouldn't engage in grief comparison because, you know, someone, for example, who's grieving uh, the loss of a loved one versus someone who's grieving, uh, say not being able to walk their college, uh, their high school graduation because of uh, the lockdown, um, we don't compare. They're both grieving. And I, I disagree. Um, I don't think we should compare. I don't think comparison is helpful in almost any situation. But I don't think it's healthy or helpful to our children or to ourselves to use the word grief over things like missing a birthday party, missing a graduation ceremony, Um, even cancelling a wedding. These are really, you know, it's really disappointing. It's really disappointing. Um, But grief is a word that has a lot of power and really talks about substantial and deep loss. And when we make these disappointments, these normal, healthy, uncomfortable, (laughs) day-to-day frustrations and disappointments mean the same in terms of our language, as when someone dies or when there's a war or when there's massive, you know, massive loss, um, we, are, we are building fragility into ourselves and our children. We're saying, this is grief for us, right? Oh, I broke my nail. That's, you know, now, but I, but I can't compare my feelings to other people because for me, breaking a nail is the same as someone else. For me, that's brutal, right? And for someone else, brutality might be, you know, whatever, torture. And the point isn't, again, to shame us in our first world disappointments. Those are disappointments. Having to cancel a wedding is supremely disappointing. But it's not something we can't handle. It's not something we can't reschedule. It's not something we can't find so many causes for gratitude. Okay, we're healthy. There will be a different opportunity. We can figure this out, right? Instead of building our resilience muscle, it seems to me that culturally we're building our fragility muscle. Uh, through our language, right? Through our language, through making things a much bigger deal than they are. Staying home with our children for a few weeks is challenging. It's exhausting. It's really disappointing to miss out on that stuff. It's really tiring uh, and it could be stressful for sure. It could be all of those things. But is it brutal? Do we want to use the word brutal? Do we want to use the word, you know, awful, horrible, unbearable? Uh, so sad, so difficult? Or do we wanna maybe save those words for those experiences of life that are definitely further along on, on the spectrum in terms of their intensity? When we make these events, right, like staying home with a six-year-old for a few weeks into something brutal, again, we're sending ourselves this massive ma- message of fragility to us and to our children. It's very disempowering. So I wanna invite you to disempower your negative experiences. And this isn't about denial. Okay, it is not about denial. It is not about oppressing emotions. It is not about suppressing emotions. It is not about pretending I'm fine or putting on a brave face or stiff upper lip. It's not about minimizing and saying, oh, nothing happened, nothing happened, you're okay, you're okay. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I'm trying to say is we can feel the feelings and we can be discerning and labeling those feelings without exaggeration, within perspective, realizing that there is a whole depth of range way beyond these feelings, that that's not what this relates to. And we can also not stay stuck there. Right? Like someone was asking me about their teenager who's grieving not being able to walk um, their graduation. And I said, you know, it's fine to be disappointed. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have a pity party. It's okay to feel sorry for ourselves. Feel the feelings. Don't try and, you know, pacify your child or soothe them or bribe them or shut them up or any of that stuff. Let them, let them be sad, that's okay. But you also don't wanna feed that. You don't want to reinforce and get stuck in a negative pattern. And this is true for any child at any stage and for ourselves as well. It's okay to have those five minutes, those one week, those one month, whatever it is, right, of that, that feeling, that just bummy feeling, like, oh, this sucks, oh, I want to be miserable about it for a few minutes, right? I need to just really vent and let out these feelings. It's not okay to stay stuck there because then we are fragile. Then we are letting things break us. We are turning things into trauma that don't need to be trauma. Um, And what we need to do is feel the feelings and then move on and then put on our big girl pants and look for solutions, look forward to what's next, find the gratitude, find the plan, find the next steps and not stay stuck in, well, it's just so sad that we didn't have a graduation. With a teenager, we really want to teach them that there is a, a broader perspective at play and that the fact that we're not on a ventilator or we haven't lost our job or we have a roof over our head and toilet paper in the, in the storage room means that we have so much to be grateful for. And yes, it's incredibly disappointing. You know, It's not all or, or but, it's and it's disappointing. It's disappointing uh, to miss your college graduation or whatever, your high school graduation. That's disappointing. It is not something that's gonna break you. It is not something that's gonna, you know, somehow traumatize you or damage you. And the contrary is true. What we need to teach ourselves and everybody else, our kids, I mean, (laughs) not everybody else, is that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. We are in a culture that's teaching us that what doesn't kill us makes us weaker. That staying home for a few weeks with kids makes us weaker. It doesn't. It makes us stronger. Adversity, challenge, you know, difficulties, pressure, stress. If we believe they make us stronger, then they do. And if we believe that they will break us, then they will. And that choice is ours, that power is ours. And the power of how we describe the situation to ourselves and to others is what makes all the difference. Are we describing the situation as one that we can handle, that we can get through? It might be hard, it might be challenging. It's not brutal. We're not going through torture by terrorists. It's not brutality. It's difficult and tiring and exhausting, but it's not brutal. Not torture, not a nightmare, just very challenging just uncomfortable or even just not our preference, not what we wanted. And isn't that part of life? Isn't that part of living a happy life? Knowing how to handle not our biggest preference, being being the one that happens, right? Knowing how to accept the, the stack of cards that we've been dealt and make the most of them and make lemonade out of lemons. So I wanna invite you to be discerning with the words that you use to describe your kids to describe their behaviors to describe your challenges it's so okay for all of us to feel difficulty stress challenge etc and maybe in your case it really is grief Uh, or maybe it really is you know going mad maybe it really is nightmares and maybe it is brutal i don't know what you're going through and i'm not here to judge i'm just here to empower you with words that when you describe things in ways that aren't exaggerating, that actually disempower the negativity, that say things like, look, it's not what we most preferred. It's not the easiest thing. Uh, It's not, you know, a day at the beach, but we're handling it, you know? And even though I have my moments of crying in the bathroom, I'm proud of how I'm getting through for the most part. One of the things I always like to remind myself is, We get to choose the interpretation of everything in our own head. You get to interpret how you're handling the situation, how this situation is going, uh, or any situation, a diagnosis, a loss, you know, any kind of challenge. You get to interpret it as something that is terrible and awful, that you can't handle, that makes you not good enough, that means the end of the world, Uh, or that means all sorts of bad things. You get to interpret it that way if you choose. And you also get to interpret it as something that is happening for you, that will make you stronger, that uh, is a challenge you can rise to, that is not as bad as some people might think it is, that has silver linings. Um, You can interpret it that way too. Given that you have the choice, why not make the one that feels better? That's the question I always wanna ask people is, look, you have the choice how to interpret the situation. Why not choose the interpretation that feels better? That's, that's my preference in any given situation. I prefer to interpret it in a way that feels better because it gives me more energy, it makes my life more pleasant, it, it gives me more possibility for creativity and for success. And the truth is that that's been proven, optimists, really do have genuine benefits in the face of challenges. They really are able to be more creative with problem solving. They're able to be more successful. They live longer. They make more money. It's so worth developing an optimistic mindset. And an optimistic mindset tends to minimize the bad things, quote unquote bad things, right? Tends to minimize, tends not to make them into this big awful deal. Tends not to say, oh, it's so terrible and awful, but to say, ah, It wasn't what I most wanted, but here's the cool part about it, right? Optimists tend to turn towards the positivity in a very relentless way, and it can be so annoying to to the pessimists around them, but it's very protective for them. It's very strengthening for them. And so that's my invitation to you today. Again, not from a place of judgment, but if you're saying things like it's brutal, it's awful, I can't handle it, he's, you know, I'm going mad, it's killing me. Ask yourself if those words are speaking to your subconscious in a way that's actually holding you back, holding you back and weakening you, instead of finding an inner voice that can strengthen you and make you decharge, right? Not charge the negative experiences with heavy language, but actually empower yourself with positive language, with can-do language, with silver lining language, with making lemonade out of lemons language. So I would love to hear how this felt to you. And if you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, one of the best things that you can do for me is just send them over an episode, you know, SMS them. Because there is no better endorsement than word of mouth. And when people hear from their friends that it's a good podcast to listen to, they're likely to start listening to and get the benefits that you're get it, getting as well. And so it would mean the world to me if you could just send this over to a friend. Maybe every time you listen, just remember another friend who might enjoy it and be like, hey, I thought you might enjoy this because that's really, if this has been helpful for you in any kind of way, that would be the most helpful thing that you could do for me. So thank you so much if you do, it means the world. All right, take care. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.